today, I want to talk to you guys about FOMO. Anybody ever had FOMO before? Do you know what FOMO is? F-O-M-O. It's the fear of missing out, all right? The fear of missing out. And listen, we've all had this before from time to time. You know, FOMO is it's that little voice inside of us that when we're, let's say you're invited to do something, all right? You're invited to go to a party and you're like, you know what? Like, if I'm being totally honest, and this is like real insider head talk, like, if I'm being totally honest, I just don't feel like it today. I don't really want to go. I have no real interest. Like, I'd much rather stay at home and, you know, eat bonbons and watch Netflix or whatever, like, whatever your jam is. Like, I just, I don't really feel like doing that. I'm not motivated to do that. But then there's this little voice that pops up inside of your heads and says, but what are you going to miss out on if you don't go, right? What are you not going to experience, right? And so I've had plenty of times in my life where I'm like, man, I'll be honest, I don't want to go to this right now. I'm just tired and I had a long week and I'd rather just stay home. But then this little voice pops up and he's like, listen, if you don't go, something amazing is going to happen and you're going to miss it, right? Steve's going to tell this hilarious joke and everybody's going to die laughing. And like for the next two months, every time we get together, it's going to be like this inside joke about this thing that happened. And you're going to be like, yeah, 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 that's real funny. Like, because you weren't there and you missed it. Like everybody's going to become best friends. They're going to plan this elaborate European cruise vacation while you're not there and you're not going to get the tickets and like so get your jacket and get your keys because we're going to this thing just because we don't want to miss out right or we see somebody else's posts on social media and someone's doing this amazing stuff and it's like oh man like I wish I could have been there I wish I could have been a part of that the fear of missing out it's a it's a real thing all right it is even it starts super young uh, my friends have a four-year-old okay a four-year-old who is fully and completely potty trained praise the lord right we're always super happy when our kids are fully and completely potty trained and they have a four-year-old who is fully potty trained but he still has accidents, all right? He still craps his pants only when, only when he's scared he's going to miss out on something, okay? Like when he's involved in something amazing and he's got to go, he's like, I'm weighing the options right now and I could either miss out on this amazingness that's in front of me or I could take a bathroom break. I'm just crapping my pants right here, right now in this moment. And that's the only time he does it now. And he, here's the thing. I think we've got some proverbial pants crappers in the room at church today. I think we do because from time to time, we've all been there, right? It was like that we don't like not having all the information. We do not like operating in the dark. And I think FOMO and that whole thing, you know, online, the memes and stuff right now, like sheds some light on that core fear that we all have of missing out on something or having to operate in the dark and not having all the information. We're not super fond of operating without all the information, are we? We want all the accessible tools and whatever we can get, the hacks to make things the easiest for us and the easiest to understand, the easiest to comprehend. Like even today, all right, if I were to shut off all the lights in church today, you're sitting home watching your law, you're watching online in your kitchen. Like if I could just remove all the light from your situation, wherever you are at right now, and then you had to stand up and like cook a meal, what would you, what would you do, right? If you had to stand up and like exit out of this building at West or here at the Valley, like if you had to get out of this building at be in a hot mess, wouldn't we? If we couldn't see where we were going, like basic, simple tasks take so much longer when we're trying to operate in the dark. I don't like operating in the dark. I don't know about you, but I really like my electricity and I like my lights and I like to be able to see what's going on. And when we're in the dark, it's frustrating. When we're in the dark, it's annoying. We stub our toe and we stumble around and we just like, you ever see like footage of someone in like a night vision camera stumbling around in the dark? Even their face, they look disoriented. You know what I mean? They're just like, oh, I have no idea what's going on or where I'm going or what's happening. Like we all do it. We don't like operating in the dark. And today the passage that I want us to read together is from Mark 
chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can open there. And, and the disciples were kind of struggling with the same thing that we do. This is this, this tension of living without all the information, all right, that even though they were with Jesus and they walked with Jesus and they knew him as a friend and they could touch him and they could see him and they could, they could like, they ate with him and they traveled with him, like most of us would kill for an experience like they had with Jesus, but they had access to all this information in this FaceTime, but they were still operating in the dark. It's interesting that if you read through the Gospels and as we've been reading through the Gospel of Mark together here for these last few weeks, that Jesus didn't show up like a lot of us would have and like stand up and make this grand proclamation that, hey, I'm the savior of the world. I am the Messiah. I'm here to save you all. I'm here to change history. I'm here to change the game. Like if I were the Messiah, things would have probably gone a little bit differently, right? I would have shown up and I would have stood up and I would have been like, everybody needs to get on board with this because this is a big deal, right? And like going around and telling everybody how amazing and how powerful I am because he was, it was all true. He could have done it and no one could have blamed him for it, but Jesus took a different approach approach, didn't he? Like he was more subtle and he, he, he taught in more of these like roundabout approaches. He wanted people to come to that conclusion on their own. He used these parables, which were these very cool stories, but you kind of had to do a little bit of brain work on yourself to really figure out the, the meanings, the deeper meanings behind what he was teaching. He performed miracles, which, you know, actions speak louder than words, right? He said, let my work speak for itself. And so even though these disciples were with him and walking and talking with him, they still didn't get it all the time. And there's even the most, probably one of the most famous miracles in the entire Bible, the feeding of the, of the 5,000. If you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard of that. If you didn't grow up in Sunday school, you've probably heard of that where there's this little kid and he's like, I've got, you know, five loaves and two fish, Jesus. You want to feed 5,000 people with this? And, you know, in reality, it was probably more than 5,000. Like it says there were 5,000 men that were there that day, all right? So they probably had their wives and a couple of their kids. Like most people estimate could have been easily 20,000 people that ate off these five loaves and two fish. That's like the entire... Scotiabank Arena, all right? If you've ever been to a Raptors game and you've watched them play, like just shy of 20,000 people they can cram in there, that's like Jesus feeding the entire Scotiabank Arena with five loaves of bread and two fish, right? This amazing, incredible miracle. 20,000 people hungry to hear the gospel, hungry to see Jesus, hungry to know who he is and to see his power at work in their life. And the disciples bore witness to all of that. And they saw all of this take place. And where I want us to pick up today in Mark chapter 6 is right after that's happened. Right after Jesus has taken this little meager lunch, the sack lunch that some mom sent with this kid when he went out to like check out Jesus. And after he took this little sack lunch and he multiplied it to feed 20,000 people. And the disciples saw all that. The disciples saw, saw how Jesus could take nothing and turn it into everything. They saw how Jesus, did the, the, the raw material, like potential, didn't need to exist. And like a lot of times we think we've got to get our act together and we've got to really like stir up our own potential and put our own work in and then God will use us. And that's, that's total nonsense because time and time again, Jesus proved that like the nothing that you bring to him is a raw material. He needs to do everything in and through your life. And the disciples bore witness to all of that in this moment. But then look in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, where we pick this up. It says that, that has just happened, the feeding of the 5,000 or the 20,000. And immediately, it says in verse 45, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So this amazing miracle happens, and then Jesus said, all right, go home. 
And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And later that night, verse 47, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. And he was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought that he was a ghost, and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. And verse 53 says, When they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret, and they anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. And they ran throughout the whole region, and they carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or towns or countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces, and they begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. So it's so like one of the most amazing miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 that we all grew up in Sunday school hearing about, and then directly followed up by probably the most referenced and quoted passage of scripture in all of the Bible when Jesus walks on water. Like everybody, like you say Jesus anywhere in the world, and people are like, that's the guy who walked on water, right? That's the guy that we all heard he did it. So as kids, we got in the pool and we tried it, right? Like how many steps can I take on the water before I sink? You know, we get running really fast. You've all done it. Don't judge me. Like we all try it at some point in our lives, don't we? It's a possible we can't do it but Jesus did it and everybody knows that Jesus did it in this passage where Jesus walks on water and what's what's crazy to me and what I think we sometimes miss is it's right after this amazing and incredible miracle where he fed 20,000 people with nothing and then he just tells the disciples like okay get in the boat because there's something else coming and it's like this perfect example of the disciples being in a spot in their life where they don't know what's coming next. They've seen this amazing thing happen, and then it says that immediately Jesus tells them, get in the boat and head to the other side of the lake. No explanation, no reason why, no like plan, and broke it all down for them and said, we're going over there, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and then we're going to go there. It was just like, hey, this is amazing, and it happened, but now get in the boat and head to the other side of the lake. Immediately. Wasn't even any time really to like, celebrate. I, I don't know about you, but I, I go through something like that, and I'm like, man, I want, I want to stay here. For, I, want, I want to sit in this. I want to celebrate in this for a few minutes. Like, that was amazing. We just fed 20, all these people, they think that we are the stuff now, Jesus. Like, the disciples, like, they love to lump themselves in with Jesus. Like, these people think that we're amazing. They want to come and tell us how thankful they are and how incredible we are. Like, let's, let's sit here and let's celebrate in this for a few moments. And Jesus says, no, we're moving on to the next thing. We're going across the lake. And so they get out there on the lake, and what happens is they start to struggle, right? This isn't to be confused with Mark chapter 4, because when we heard an amazing message from Pastor Don about Jesus calming the storm in Mark chapter 4, so this is another instance where they're on the water, but it's completely different and completely separate, that they're out there and they begin to struggle. The disciples were fishermen. They were used to this. They were used to being on the water, and it seems to be in the scriptures. Like It seems like every time they get out there, a storm blows up, but they're out there, and they're struggling. And you've got to believe that in that moment, after this amazing miracle has happened and it's taken place, and Jesus said, nope, I want you to get in the boat. I want you to go to the other side of the lake. And they're out there, and they're struggling, and it says they're straining against the oars. They were buffeted, some passages say. And they're out there, and they get a, this is a season in life where they start to ask the kind of questions like, why are we here right now? Like, I don't even know where I'm going. I don't even know what's on the other side of this lake. I don't know why God would bring me here. I don't know why God would send me into this. Like, I was just somewhere amazing, and that was good, and that was comfortable, and that was safe, 
and I could have stayed there and I could have been happy for the rest of my life, but now God's pushed us out here and like, why would he do this? And why did it have to rain? And why did this storm blow up? Like, why couldn't we stay back there? Why wouldn't Jesus just tell us where we were going? Why wouldn't he just tell us what was on the other side? Why wouldn't he just give me a little bit more information, right? They're in, they're in the dark. They're operating in the dark. And it's in the middle of, I think, that moment of uncertainty. It had to be a moment of uncertainty for them that Jesus walks out on the water to them. In the middle of their frustration, in the middle of their confusion, in the middle of their darkness, Jesus walks out on the water to them. And there's nothing any more confusing to a human brain than seeing somebody walk on the water, right? Again, we all try it as kids. Like, just, we just cannot comprehend that. Today, if it happened, we'd chalk it up and sort of, to some sort of technology, right? Like, oh, that bro's got a jetpack or that's a hologram or something. Like, we've seen that stuff. They didn't, like, back then, like, the disciples see somebody walking on water and something was going down, right? There was no explanation for that whatsoever. And they see this guy and they think it's got to be a ghost and they're terrified, and it's, it's, it's worth noticing, too, that before that moment, before they saw Jesus walking on the water, Mark never says here in chapter 6 that the disciples were afraid in the storm. That was in chapter 4. They were terrified for their lives. They thought they were going to drown. Maybe they had really short memories, and they didn't quite understand everything, but I think that they remembered something here in Mark chapter 6. It never says they were afraid they were going to drown. I think they were just straining, and they were struggling against the oars he says. And it's not until they see Jesus, they see this person, this thing walking on the water that they begin to get terrified. And I think they at least remembered this, all right? The disciples weren't perfect, but I think they at least had learned this lesson that, that Jesus was able to calm the storm. They'd just gone through it a couple chapters earlier. And I think there's a lot of times in our lives where we get in those seasons where we are straining and we are struggling and we feel like we're operating without all the information and we feel like we're operating in the dark. And most of us, many of us, would never question God's ability to step in and do something about it. But we would question his interest. God, I know you can do this. God, I know you can make this miracle happen in my life. I have no doubt that you are powerful enough. I have no doubt that you're able but a lot of times we would question whether or not he was willing and interested in doing it for us, wouldn't we? And that's when we feel like we're operating in the dark. I think that's where the disciples were in this moment. And what Jesus reveals to the disciples there in the dark and on the water that night changed their lives forever. And I think could change our lives forever too. The first thing that he reminded them of, which is just totally basic and you can't miss it, is of his power, the incomprehensible power of God, the power of Jesus in our lives and walking with us in our lives. Even when we're struggling in the dark, even when we don't feel like we have all the information, even when we don't know what's on the other side of the lake, even if we do not understand why we are here right now in this moment, we lift our eyes to heaven and remind ourselves who we are, that the power of God moves on your behalf, church. Did you know that? That the unlimited, untapped power, unmatched power of God moves on your behalf because he chooses to do so. And eventually, I think Jesus wanted the disciples to understand this because when he ascended back into heaven and not too distant future for these disciples here, when he would ascend back to heaven, he would say, I'm leaving you in charge and you're going to build the church. And actually, I'm going to leave my spirit with you who is going to give you the power to do all the things I've done. And actually, you're going to do even greater things in my name than you've seen me do here. 
And he left that power with them. He left that power with his church. He says, you know, listen, you can't do it, but I want to do it through you. I want to do it with you. Like my power moves with you. My power moves with my people. We have access to it. We just need to be aware of it and be able to tap into it, right? Failing to recognize the power of God and the ability that we have to plug into that and tap into that is what keeps us in the dark so often. The moments where we feel like we don't have all the information and we don't know what's coming, we don't know what's on the other side, we are failing to recognize the power of God in our life. Sometimes in those moments of confusion, like we need to lean on somebody else who does understand the power, right? Who is tapped into the power, who's got a little more access to it in that particular moment and season of our lives than we do. Like I've never known anybody who's understood and recognized and just lived in the manifest power of God in their life and that they recognized that it was moving on their behalf. I've never known anybody who lived that way and had time to, to, to wish that tomorrow would come sooner and wish that things could be different and wish that their life could change because they recognize the power of God moving on their behalf at all times and all season, even when it seems like it's dark. It puts everything into perspective. It puts all my confusion and all my doubt and all my worry and all my anxiety and all my anxious waiting, puts all of that into perspective because it's not about any, like so much, so often it's like, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? That like, why does it work for them? Why do things seem to click for them? Why do they seem to have more access to it? Like, why does God seem more interested in moving in their life than he does in mine? And when we recognize that power of God in our life and that it moves on our behalf, like it, it begins to put that into perspective a little bit. It's like, no, no, no. Listen, God has never left and he's never been far off. And he moves on my behalf. And I have access to his power in my life. It's not about my strength. It's definitely not about my weakness. Like it's about, it's not about me at all. It's about God moving. It's about what he's accomplishing. It's about his plans and his hopes and his dreams for me and for his world and for his church. Here's some food for thought for you, all right? A lot of times we, we equate, I think we read about these storms in the Bible, and we equate those storms to like the times in our life when things are difficult. And if you're here today and you're, you're in a difficult season, like you can relate to this super easily, but some of us are, I mean, life is good right now. If we're honest, like this pretty, pretty smooth sailing. I'm not being buffeted by any waves right now. I'm not straining against the oars. But for me, a lot of times, like when I'm in the storm, that's when I am most aware of the presence of God in my life because that's when I need it the most. And it's when things are good and when things are easy and when things are smooth sailing, like that's when I'm most in danger of operating in the dark. Because then it's like, I feel like I've got everything under control. I feel like I can do it myself. I feel like I don't have any real felt needs in my life. Some of us are just like, hey, you know what? Like I'm just moving from point A to point B, one row in front of the other baby. We are doing this and things are going good, but we're operating in the dark. We aren't recognizing and tapping into the power of God in our life. Like in one moment, the power of God speaks to the storm and everything is calm. He says, you don't have to be afraid. It's just me. It's Jesus. It's your savior. The same God who spoke to the void and spoke to darkness and created light, who spoke over the face of the deep and created the earth and spoke the cosmos into, into existence. Like that God offers his power to you. And that God's power moves on your behalf in any and all situations. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter your level of confusion right now. 
His power moves on your behalf. And here's the thing, all right? Like, I know this is a lot to wrap our heads around, but here's, here's the comfort I found in the, in the power of God, right? Is that I don't need to understand everything about God to believe in him. And I don't need to understand everything about his power and how it works to believe in that and either, right? And there's plenty of things in my life that I have faith in, like gravity, for instance. If I were to go up on the top of this building today and jump off onto the paved parking lot, right? I know and I understand that that would cause me a world of pain, Right? I don't understand how gravity works. I don't understand how space travel works and all that stuff. Like, I don't understand why, really. Like, I have a very basic knowledge, but I can't create it and I can't harness it. I can't, I'm not smart enough to do that, but I know and I believe that if I jump off this building, I'm going to be in a world of pain, right? I don't understand how electricity works either. Do any of you? Like, I have, I have no real idea. We've all read the textbooks, right? Some of you are much smarter than I am. I don't understand how electricity works, but I sure know how to use it. Amen? Like, I don't want to live without it. I don't even like camping. Forget that. There's no electricity out there. Why would I go do that? I like my electricity. I like all the luxuries that it provides to me, right? I know how to use it. I know how to work it, but I don't really understand how it gets to my house and how it's all there. Like, I have no idea. But I'm also not going to be shoving a paperclip into a socket anytime soon either <laughs> because I know that there's a power there that is beyond me that I do that. And I do not need to understand every little thing about it to use it and tap into it. I don't really know how this microphone works. I don't have any idea. I could never create one. I could never make this work, but I know how to use it when it's here, amen? Like you just take what God has given you and what he's blessed you with and you just work it and then his power is what comes in and fills in all the gaps. He does the work for us on our behalf. Right? We don't need to understand every little thing. As much as we want it, as much as we desire it, we don't need to have every little piece of information laid out for us if we can trust that the power of God moves on our behalf. When we recognize the power of God, it turns on the lights in our darkness. It sheds so much light and, and, and just puts things into perspective for us when we really, truly recognize it. I know we sing about it and we talk about it in church, but when you really take time to think about and dwell about the power of God moving in your life, it's a complete game changer. It changes everything. And the next thing I think that Jesus wanted the disciples to see in this moment was, was his persistence. That yes, his power was there and his power was sufficient and he was more than able, but that he persistently pursued them and pushed them to something more. Like after he fed the Scotiabank Arena, 20,000 people. And then Jesus said, no, we're not going to stay here. We're not going to sit in this. Like, this is amazing, and this is incredible what's happened, and we give God all the glory for it, but we're not staying here. There's something else. There's something more. And he pushes them. He's persistent with them to say, no, no, it's on to the next thing. It's out onto the lake. It's out into the unknown. It's off to the other side. It's continuing the journey because we are not done yet. There is no arriving in our relationships with God. We don't get to a place where we're like, oh, finally, I made it. Like, finally, I got my miracle. Finally, I found my breakthrough. Like, finally, I understand this. And so now I'm good for the rest of my life. And no, it doesn't matter where you are or what's going on. Like, we think that there's a milestone that we have to reach and we have to achieve. And that is the end goal. And that everything would just be good if we got there. But God sees the whole picture. He sees everything. He sees the entire arc of your life. He sees the entire journey. He's persistent in moving us forward, persistent in calling us to something greater. The disciples hadn't arrived. They weren't done. He was pushing them to something more. He was determined to help them realize who he truly 
was. Again, it says like their, their hearts were hardened, right? They hadn't understood what was going on with the loaves. And God is persistently, Jesus Christ is persistently relentless in his pursuit of you and his pursuit of me. That he doesn't just let us sit in the good stuff. He doesn't let us just sit in the bad stuff. He doesn't let us just sit in the confusion and in the darkness that he's persistently calling us to something more. And for the disciples, they found themselves in that kind of a season. It was confusing, and they didn't know what was going on, and they didn't know what lay ahead, but Jesus was persistent in pushing them forward, patient and loving, but firm and insistent. And for us, I don't know, a lot of times, like, we, we have extremely short memories. And I know the disciples did that. We'll see God do something amazing, and God will do something incredible in our lives, but then give it a year or two, three years, four years, five years, maybe 10 years, and then we hit something difficult. Then we hit that season of confusion. Then we start straining against, against the oars again. And we will forget what God has done for us in the past, won't we? And we'll forget how he's moved on our behalf. And we'll forget how his power was made known and made manifest in our, in our lives. And in those moments, Jesus just persistently reminds, persistently draws our attention to the fact that I'm here. And I want something more for you. I've got something greater for you. Like, what is it in your life that maybe God has been persistently reminding you of and persistently calling to your attention and persistently just laying his finger and his hand on that area of your life and saying, I've got something more for you here. I've got something more for you in this area. I've got something more for you in this season. And maybe we're just hesitant to say, oh God, I don't know. I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I have what it takes. There's gotta be somebody else. There's gotta be someone you could use besides me. And Jesus just persistently says, no, no, no. what about this? This isn't for somebody else. This is for you. What about this area? What about this moment? What about this season? And I bet right now for every single one of us that we could think of something like that in our lives where we've had those kind of conversations with God, but we've been afraid to see it through. And guess what? He's not going to stop. Like you could, you could argue with him for the rest of your life and he will just keep persistently pushing you forward and calling you to more because he knows what he created you for. He knows who he created you to be. He knows, he sees, again, he's got all the information at his disposal. And he is persistently calling us to more, persistently pushing us forward and where he's leading you is incredible. What's on the other side is incredible. It's greater than everything you could ever dream up or ask for on your own. He reminds him of his power. He reminds him of his persistence. And the last thing, which is, seems just obvious, but is his proximity. His proximity to them. Because if, if the power, if his display of his power is, is, is comforting and it is the display of his persistence is encouraging, then like the proximity that he displays in the story just really seals the deal here because it's incredible that he, he sees them out there struggling in the dark and he sees us struggling in the dark and he comes as close as he possibly can. He reminds the disciples that he was never far off in the first place. God wasn't content just to provide for their needs from heaven. He wasn't content just to provide for their needs from afar. Like God sent Jesus to take on the flesh of a man, to die for our sins, like to bear the weight of our iniquity, to experience and go through what we experience, the human condition, like to come as close as he possibly could. And Jesus was there with them. 
The proximity of God is one of the greatest gifts we've ever been getting. A lot of times, the storms in our life and the difficult times in our life actually bring God closer. We feel like sometimes in those moments, like God's so far away and why is he abandoning me? Like sometimes those moments of confusion and darkness actually bring God even closer to us because he's walking with us through it. Listen, Jesus wasn't there on the water that night. Jesus didn't walk out to his disciples on the Sea of Galilee to save them from drowning. That was chapter four. That was the last storm, right? Jesus wasn't out there to save them from drowning in this moment. Jesus was there to open their eyes to a greater reality, to remind them how big he was, to remind them who he was. It says in verse 48 that Jesus was actually about to, and I've never understood this my whole life. In verse 48, it says that Jesus walked out to them, but he was about to pass by them. So he wasn't even like coming to get in the boat. He wasn't coming out to say, like, hey, guys, like, what's up? Like, he was just walking past them, about to go by them when they all started screaming like little girls. And my whole life, I've just kind of, like, wondered, like, where was Jesus going? Like, what Jesus never did anything just because, right? That there was always a purpose. And Jesus was walking by them on the water that day, wasn't planning to stop. And I don't know if he was just taking a shortcut if that's what it was, or he just needed some exercise. Like, I, I don't know, but I, th- I think that I, I really dove into this and researched this, and I think I discovered what he was doing here because this moment, like, wasn't designed to save them from drowning. This moment when he was walking by them on the water, it was designed to be an epiphany. It was designed to be a moment of sudden realization and revelation in their lives. It was a throwback to Exodus when God was with Moses on the mountain and Moses was with God and he was teaching mankind like what it meant to be in relationship with him and he was imparting all of these commands and these laws to Moses and these these amazing promises that he had for them as a nation and as his people and he's up there with Moses and Moses says God like I don't understand like I don't have all the information I don't have all the pieces together just let me see you let me look on your face. Like, I just need to understand. I just need a little more information. And God says, no, can't do it. You'll die. You, you weren't designed to bear the weight of, of all that I am and my glory, but I can do this. I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock. I'm going to place my hand over you to cover you, and I will pass by you. And that revelation was enough for Moses to literally upset his entire life to literally alter the course of his path and to alter the course of history for the rest of time just by God passing by Moses in that moment. In Exodus, the power and the presence of God hovered over a mountaintop. And now the disciples are living it there in the sea that he's now hovering over the face of the deep. The same God was never far was right there on the exact same sea of Galilee that all of these guys grew up on. Spent their entire lives on the sea. They knew it so well. And now the manifest presence of God is there with them. God with us. In our city, in our town, in my family, in our lives, on our sea, the Sea of Galilee, like And now in our boat, God with us. Jesus shows up and they're all afraid. And he says, take courage, 
It's just me. Don't be afraid. And it's no coincidence. The exact same phrase he uses there is the exact same one he uttered to Moses when he was killing Moses from the burning bush. And Moses said, who do I say sent me? And he says, tell them that I am sent you. Jesus uses the exact same phrase there where he passes by them on the water. And he says, don't be afraid. I am. Don't be afraid. The I am is here. Don't be afraid. God's, he's in the house, baby. Here to change the game. I was never gone. I was never far off. You never had to worry. Like look at, look at uh, Exodus chapter three, verse 14, that God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. The I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name my name to remember for all generations. The very same God who spoke to Moses hundreds of years earlier was now in the boat with the disciples. The I am was there. It changes everything. Genesis chapter one says the spirit of God hovers over the face of the deep. And the book of Job says he walks on the waves and the oceans tremble at his presence. These would have been Old Testament passages the disciples would have known really well, and now they're seeing it all made manifest and fulfilled right here on the Sea of Galilee. And I think what Mark wanted his readers to understand what he was trying to convey is the same exact thing that Jesus was trying to convey to the disciples that evening is when my power and my persistence and my proximity are at work in your life, nothing can stop you. That there's nothing that is po not possible. There is nothing that cannot happen. There is nothing beyond your reach. There is nothing beyond your limit. There is nothing beyond your potential because God is in the boat. The same God who was on the mountain the same God who was in the burning bush, the same God who was with us on the mountaintop, the same God who was with us in the good times. Just because we feel like we're in the darkness right now, just because we feel like we don't have all the information now, changes nothing for God. He's the exact same as he's always been. Who sent them out there on the boat in the first place? It was Jesus saying, I've got something more for you. And I don't know about you, but I want the power and the persistence and the proximity of God on display in my life. Like I, I need that, I desire that more than anything. And I want that for King's Church. I want that for St. John. I want that for Halifax. I want that for the West Side. And I think, I know that he wants it too. He just wants us to be aware of it, church, that God incarnate walks with us, walks with you, offers his power to you, persistently pushes you to be more, doesn't leave you alone, doesn't let you rest, doesn't let you get comfortable, walks with you every step of the way. The difference between mass, chaos, fear, frustration, and confusion for us, my friends, is simply just a matter of whether or not we turn on the lights. And when we invite the power of God into our life, when we become aware of the power of God in our life, it just chases away the darkness. And we can trust that there's something better on the other side, that there's something amazing on the other side. Like I love, I love in this passage, I love like in verse 53, almost as a follow-up to that moment, it says that as soon as they hit the shore, the miracles start piling up, right? As soon as they get, they go through all of this and that whole passage and Jesus is telling them who he is and like the I am is here and I'm in the boat with you and on your sea and in this season of your life that I am with you. The God most high, 
God all-powerful is with you. And as soon as they hit the other side, as soon as they made it through, as soon as they made it to the other side of this season of confusion and despair and fear that the miracles just start piling up and amazing things are happening. People are literally hauling sick people, just throwing them out into the streets. And when Jesus is walking by, they're being healed. Just power on display all over the place. Things they never, like they thought the last thing was good and they thought what happened before was good and they wanted to stay there. What was on the other side was so much better. It was incredible. And God says, this is what I want for you. This is what I have for you. There's something more. I love that Mark, and I'm done with this. I love that Mark includes the word all. That all who touched him were healed. That no one was left wanting. No one was beyond his reach. No one was left in the dark. No one was left out. No one was forgotten. That everyone who just even touched the hem of his robes was healed. On earth as it is in heaven, church. That's the vision for our whole church that we want to see the power of God on display in our day and in our city and in our church and in our lives. And you are not left out. You are not forgotten. You are not beyond God's reach. You are not outside of his plan. That no matter where you are, his power moves on your behalf. No matter where you are, he is close. He is as close as he's ever been. He's close as he ever will be in your life right now in this moment. God, we love you. And today is your church, Father. We just rest in the power of your presence. God, what a beautiful gift, your presence, Jesus. God and Father, just forgive us, forgive me for the times when we get wrapped up in our confusion, Father. We get wrapped up in our own darkness, God, and we just we forget who you are and we forget what you've done. We forget that you've spoken purpose over us, God. And we forget that the same God who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, Father, is here with us in our boat, in our life, at this exact moment that your presence rests upon us. And God, today we just say, we surrender to your power, God. We surrender to your work. We surrender to your plan. We surrender to your goodness, Father, that we don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. We don't have to strain. We don't have to be confused, Father. We don't even need all the information laid out for us, God, that we can trust that you are good and that there is more and what is on the other side is incredible and what is on the other side is gonna be better than anything we've ever experienced before. And so God, I just pray today for some of us today, Father, we are just living for the other side. God, in these moments right now that we're in, Father, we see your power at work. But we feel you persistently calling us to more. God, thank you that you don't leave us where we're at. Thank you that for every single person within the sound of my voice today at the Valley and online and at West today, Father, that you have more. That you're calling us to more. And God, we say yes to that today as a church and as your people. We say yes, God. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to settle for anything less than your absolute best for us today, God. So we love you. And it's in the power of your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, thank you, church. Man, I'm going to just invite you to stand back to your feet, and we're going to sing about the goodness of God today. And maybe, just maybe today, while you're singing and while you're processing through this, like maybe God's been pushing you in some areas of your life, and you've been battling with it. Just take it to God right now in this moment. Do your work between just you and him, and see what God says to you in this moment. Let's sing together. 
Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.